Castro. It's um, Gomez, uh, born in Mexico originally, came to the United States legally um, <laughs> at an early age, and uh, met my wife in Las Vegas, Nevada, Teresa, and uh, we were married in 1973. I was uh, 21, and she was um, 16, no, seven, no, I'm sorry, I would never marry a 16-year-old, she was 17. And uh, had our three kids in Las Vegas, Nevada. And I uh, came to know the Lord there in Las Vegas, Nevada. Started going to Calvary Chapel in probably about 1979. And um, in 1985, my wife and I and our three kids, at that time we had three kids, 1985, a 10-year-old, an 8-year-old, and a 2-year-old left Las Vegas, Nevada with Bob Coy and his wife. They'd only been married for about six months and um, barely knew him. The church was about 3,000 people in Las Vegas. And uh, I'd never worked at a church. I was a construction worker, heavy equipment operator. And so it never made sense to me that God would call me to go with a man to go start a church, having never worked at a church, having never been in full-time ministry. I was teaching the Spanish Bible study in Las Vegas. But uh, to go to a place, we, we grew, uh, my wife born in Las Vegas, grew up in Las Vegas. We had been as far east as uh, Flagstaff, Arizona, and uh, never been any further east than that. So to go to Fort Lauderdale, Florida, to go to a place we'd never been, to go start a church, do something we'd never done with a man I barely knew, just didn't seem to make a whole lot of sense to me. And then to go to a place very close to Miami that is highly, highly populated by Cuban folks with a name like Fidel just didn't really seem to make a whole lot of sense to me. But how God works in so many uh, different ways. So we started, we landed in Fort Lauderdale, uh, landed. We arrived in Fort Lauderdale in July of 1985. Our very first Sunday morning service was in September of 1985 in a funeral home, in Fairchild's funeral home. And our first Sunday morning service, we had uh, two people that attended. It, it was really tough to get people to come to church in a funeral home. It, it just, not a lot of motivation to go to a church where dead bodies are. And uh, so we were there for a while, and so anyway, fast forward. The Lord is blessed, and uh, we have a campus there at the Fort Lauderdale location, and uh, we have 10 other satellite locations throughout Broward County and Dade County and uh, Palm Beach County. And uh, so it's a privilege. It's a privilege for me to be here. Uh, my wife and I just once again marveling at uh, the people that God uses in ministry. I barely graduated from high school. Uh, my wife doesn't mind me saying, my wife dropped out of high school in eighth grade. And um, nonetheless, God, God just has a way of, uh, and I'm not saying that's the way to go into ministry. I'm not saying that that's the way. I'm just saying God has a way of making up the difference uh, when he needs to. And so I'm blessed. I'm blessed uh, to have met Rich and Paula, and uh, more Paula than Rich. Uh, but uh, at the same time, just uh, enjoying being here. Now, I do want to get one thing straight because I'm a little confused. Okay. The women's Bible study. 
Is it Wednesday night or Thursday night? Thursday morning. Now, how do you know that? Okay. I will spend just a few minutes with you from the book of Jeremiah, if you have a Bible, from the book of Jeremiah. We've, um, Jim has prayed and has asked the Lord to bless our time, and so we'll get right into our uh, time together. I've entitled our, our short time together, you, you Should Be Willing to Share. I, my, I just had a birthday last month, September, and I turned uh, 61, and, and I've realized just how much, and I don't know uh, if, if you that are getting in that stage of life, you notice how many things we forget. Anybody here just forget things? You, you notice the kind of questions you're asking? I'm asking questions that I don't remember asking as a younger man. I'm asking, where am I? I'm asking, there's things that you just forget. There's things that the older you get, you just, you you lose your, do you lose, anybody lose their glasses? Anybody go into a store, a Home Depot, a grocery store, and come out and go, where did I park my car? If you take medication, have you ever opened up the cabinet? And looked at the pill bottle and say, did I take this already? You don't remember if you've taken your medication. But we have a, a, a room, a dining room back home in Fort Lauderdale that has a door that leads into the garage. And not long ago, I found myself that I opened the door, that I go into the garage. And, and as I walk into the garage, I, I stood there for a minute in the garage. And I asked myself a question. What do you think that question was? Why did I come in here? I found myself not long ago on a stairwell. <laughs> and I looked up the stairs. And I looked down the stairs. And I asked myself a question. What do you think that question was? Was I going up the stairs or was I going down the stairs? That's bad. And the longer that we've been a Christian, the longer that my wife and I have been, well, me, the longer that I've been walking with the Lord, there's something that I forget. Having been in ministry, having been a part of Calvary Fort Lauderdale from the beginning and, and <coughs> having been, been a part of such a large ministry, 25,000 people, ministry can become the thing. My day can start at 6 in the morning with the first appointment and the first counseling and a hospital visit and memorial service and a wedding that we're doing and I'm studying for a class and uh, staff problems and this and, and, and my life can become ministry. And I forget something. I forget it. And have you, did you notice that when you gave your life to Jesus that instantaneously, immediately, like that, he didn't take you up to heaven. Have you noticed that he left you here? Now, I forget that. I forget that I've been left here for a reason. 
And the number one reason, if we can uh, employ this phrase, you remember this phrase, you need to keep the main thing? What is it? I, I, I don't do that. I forget that. Sometimes the main thing for me is life. It's ministry. It's kids. Well, our, our kids, uh, I, I call them kids, they're all grown up and uh, married and got their own kids. And at times they've moved out and at times they come back. And sometimes life can be like that. But I forget something. I'm a witness. I've been left here on this planet by Jesus to be two things, to be a billboard. You know the billboards? I don't know if you have, back home we have billboards everywhere. What does a billboard do? Advertise. The billboard says, watch, look. They, they want you to be a part of what they're advertising. Secondly, I've been left here on this earth to be a preview. When's the last time you went to a movie? Movie is, <laughs> I get a kick out of this. A movie is scheduled to start at 7 o'clock. And if the movie is scheduled to start at 7 o'clock, what time does the movie actually begin? Like 7.45. What happens for that half hour? Previews of coming attractions, right? And what is the purpose of the preview? The last time that my wife and I went to the movies, we we're sitting there and we're watching previews. And as we're watching the previews, we're concluding something. We watch this preview and we look at each other and we go, that's about the dumbest movie ever made. I would never watch that based on the preview. And then there'll be another preview that comes up that I look at the preview and my wife and I look at the preview and we go, now that is worth coming back for. Do you know what I forget? I'm the preview of heaven. That's, what, that's what I, why I've been left here. That, that's the idea. I'm a billboard. I have a message. I, I'm a preview of heaven. People are supposed to, the idea is that people are supposed to watch my life and, and see the kind of life I'm living. And, and in some cases, they'll look at me and they'll go, <laughs> Thanks, but no thanks. If that's what the rest of the movie is like, thanks, but no thanks. I don't want any part of it. Or it should be that somebody watches my life and they say, if that's a preview of coming attractions, I want to hear some more. But I forget that. I get so busy with life. We have four, four granddaughters now. Our youngest is a year old. Our kids go through this, they go through that. Ministry situations, ministry challenges, pressures, finances, job layoffs that we deal with, people's problems, and, and, and everything. Like Jesus said in Matthew chapter 13 in the parable of the sower, he said there's this one person that the seed falls on good soil, but the cares of this world. And the deceitfulness of wealth starts choking the person out. And I'm, think, I'm thinking that that's probably a, a Fort Lauderdale thing. It's a Rhode Island thing. It's, it's just life. Trying to make a living. Trying to raise kids. Trying to make the grade in college, high school, make the team, whatever. 
And so I'm not, I don't, I don't uh, uh, propose that, I, that you're going to leave here today and that you're going to say, I never heard that before. Man, I learned something. I, I, don't, I don't think so. I, I think, I'm hoping that when you leave here today, you walk out of here going, that's right. I'm a billboard. I forgot that. Or, or, or I've kind of set it aside. That, that, that's what I'm hoping for. Keeping the main thing, the main thing. I <coughs> came across this article a while, uh, a while ago. Uh, and, and here about keeping the main thing, the main thing. Some years ago, the London Transit Authority was receiving a lot of complaints because their buses were driving past customers who were standing at the bus stop. So the customers are standing at the bus stop waiting for the bus, and the buses are just going right by. The Transit Authority put an explanation in the paper <laughs> that has become infamous with Public Relations Department. The explanation said, it is impossible for us to maintain our schedule if we're always having to stop and pick up passengers. <laughs> Wait, run that by me again? It's impossible for us to maintain our schedule if we're always having to stop and pick up passengers. I think you have forgotten why you were created. I think you've gotten your, your eye off the ball. I think that you have focused on something that is not a priority. It, it happens to me. In Jeremiah chapter 1, we're going to look at just a, a, a couple of verses. In verses 4 and 5, if you want to put this phrase, if you want to put verses 4 and 5, the call. It's the call of Jeremiah. Jeremiah, probably a young man. Bible scholars differ, uh, different idea, 15 years old, 17 years old, 20 years old, a young man. But verses 4 and 5, the call. Uh, verse 6, if you want to put the, the phrase, the excuse. Uh, verses 7 and 8, the command. Verses 9 and 10, the hope. And, and we'll kind of breeze through this here. But, but let's look at the call. The word of the Lord came to me, and it said, now watch what God says to Jeremiah. Before I, and underline this word, before I formed you uh, in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. I ordained you a prophet to the nations. That's amazing, isn't it? That's crazy that God would actually say, before I formed you, the word form comes from a word that, me, that, that has a picture of a, a sculptor, a potter, and clay. So God is saying to this person, before I even started to build you inside of your mother's womb, I, I already knew you. The word new means understood. So God knows you before you were created, before you were formed. And before you were formed, he already knew you and understood you. And watch this, before he formed you and understood you, he had already set you apart for a certain work. That's sovereignty. 
that's preeminence. That, that's um, foreordained. He knows you. Now, why do I say that? Well, because the idea, the, the topic of which I speak is just about sharing the gospel, telling people about Jesus. And, and, and here's the thing. I, before we leave, I, I want to really simplify it for you because for some of us, telling others about Jesus can be a very frightening experience. We say things like, uh, you, you don't understand, preacher. I, I'm just, I'm an introvert. You don't understand, preacher. I just kind of like let my light shine. I, I, you don't understand, preacher. I, I'm just not that type of a person. You don't understand. See, I don't know that much. So before we leave, I want to lift off some of that pressure that I think that we put on ourselves and really help you understand the simplicity by which we can share the gospel. So, Matthew chapter 28, uh, uh, Mark chapter 16, Luke chapter 24, John chapter 20, four times in four areas, you and I collectively are called to be witnesses. Not just me, not just the pastor, not just a worship leader, not just a missionary, homemaker, plumber, lawyer. Um, secretary, you're a witness. And, and that happened before you were born, according to this area of Scripture. You had a plan. And, I, and I'm fascinated by this simple fact that God says to Jeremiah, I understand you. Because I use that excuse when, when it comes time to sharing the gospel with people, I, I, I say things like, no, see, you, you don't understand. I say things like, no, see, I, I, I don't understand. But I find it fascinating that Jesus or that the Lord here says to Jeremiah, but I understand you and I have set you apart. God, before he formed you, already knew the family from whom you would come. Some of us, I don't know about here, maybe there's none of this here in this part of the country, but where I come from, there's a phrase that's called dysfunctional families. There's a ton of them. And I, for the life of me, have tried to figure out who in the world is not dysfunctional in one way or another, really. Some of us just hide it better than others. But, but God knows, God knew the family from which you would come. You come from a family where mom and dad got divorced. Dad was an alcoholic. You were abused. God, God was aware of that. God knew that. You come from a good home, a Christian home. Mom and dad were in church all the time and uh, are still married. They've been married for 60, 70 years. He knew that. He knows, he knows the kind of intellect you have. You're a very educated person. You've graduated from a major university. You're drawn to academics. Intellectually, man, you're just sharp. And, 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 then, and then there's folks like, 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 like other folks that, that, that you're just not drawn to that. You, you struggle with that. Academics is not your strong suit. God knew that. God knew the kind of money that you would have in your life. You're financially stable. No worried about your finances. Pay your bills on time. Medical coverage, not a problem. 
And then you're a part of a group where you go, I, I don't even know if I'm going to be able to pay my, my rent next month. God knows all of that about you. And he says to Jeremiah, having known you, knowing all about you, I've set you apart to be a prophet for us today to be a witness. Could it be then? And let me just ask, could it be? Based on this, right, in my opinion it is, but based upon this biblical truth that I just shared with you, before he formed you, he already understood you. And before he formed you and understood you, he'd already set you apart. Could it be then? Could it be that that's why you work where you work? Could it be that God knowing you, your strengths, your weaknesses, your passions, your children, your educational level, your financial status. God says, okay, there's a bunch of lost people, non-Christian people that work at this organization right here. There's three of them that sit right next to each other. So I'm going to take you. You're my child. You're my Christian man. You're my Christian woman, my Christian daughter. And you have this background, you have this educational level, you have this personality. Oh my goodness, you are going to be perfect to work right next to these three non-believing, heathen, drunken, foul-mouthed people. And, and, and you, you might say, I don't understand. God, did I do something wrong? Are you punishing me by having me work with these people? And could it be, just could it be that God would look down from heaven and say, no, no mistake. It's perfect. Because I know you. Oh, but I don't have, see what we like to do, what some of us like to do, we like to be drawn to the people that we can relate to. We relate to that person. We relate to that person. Why? Because, well, they, they like, now, I, I think, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, but, but are, are we in, in uh, New England Patriot uh, territory? Oh, God loves you folks anyway. That, that's, that's, that's okay. But, oh, I, see, I relate to, you might say, I relate to the people that are Patriot fans. I relate to, oh, man, last night, the Boston Red Sox, you know what they did. Oh, they're Boston uh, Red, I relate to them. Or, or, or politics, oh, man, I relate. But what about the person, though, that you have no relatability with? And what if God would say, you're, you're perfect for that? What relatability did Jesus have with a Samaritan woman in John chapter 4? Different culture. Different dress. Different food. Different language. Different worship styles. And the Bible says Jesus had to go there. Can I just say to you, it's not always who you relate to. Now, Pastor, I don't know if you hear this, but, but I, I hear this quite a bit from my Christian brothers and sisters back in Florida. Here, here's what they say. Oh, man, if I could just work for an all-Christian company. Oh, I want to work for all Christian people. Because with all Christian people, they ain't never a problem. 
if I could just work for a Christian company, I could have my own Christian parking spot. I could have my own Christian desk. I could have my own Christian computer, my own Christian water cooler, my own Christian letterhead, my own Christian pencil, my own Christian T-shirt, Christian friends, and just all huddle together and never break outside of that Christian bubble. Oh, my goodness. Let me ask you a question. Last time that you went to eat and um, you needed to put salt on your food, did you take the salt shaker, take the top off, and then just go dump all of the salt in one spot? Of course not, but that's what we Christians want. See, we're the salt of the earth. Because if we, if we can just be with all Christians, we don't ever have to step outside of what's comfortable. It's comfortable here. Ain't nobody going to laugh at us here if we raise our hands. Nobody, I don't think. Nobody's going to laugh at us here because we got our Bible. It's comfortable, but you step outside, you know, the, the huddle that the pastor's talking, this, this is a huddle right here, like in football. We, we're calling the play, but can I put it to you this way, with all due respect, this ain't the game. The game is out there on Monday. The game is out there on Tuesday. The game is in the office. The game is on the construction site where the play is executed and we're seeking to gain ground on the enemy. But like in football, in football, you got 11 guys trying to score a touchdown and you got 11 guys that are trying to do everything they can to stop you, just like in life. Jeremiah, I already knew you. And could it be, could it be that because God knows you and because he understands you, could it be, just maybe, could it be, that that's why you live where you live. And could it be, just possibly, just possibly, could it be that that's why you have those neighbors that you have? Now, I don't know about you, but in the 40 years that my wife and I have been married, we have had the good fortune of having some really awesome neighbors. And over the course of time, we've had the unfortunate experience of having the neighbors from hell. And I know the difference. Now, which ones do you think I prefer? <laughs> Give me the Christian neighbors, man. Barbecuing together, watching God's football team, the Miami Dolphins. <laughs> I mean, come on. Who wouldn't want that kind of neighbor? I was going to wear my dolphin shirt today, but I said, no, nah, I better. I don't want to get kicked out. But, um, <laughs> but who wants to live next door to a bunch of drunken people that drive their car up on your yard, that at 2, 3 o'clock in the morning, they're blaring music, cursing at you, and causing all kinds of problems? Could it be that God says, I need you there. Could it be? Just a thought. Could be, but then again, maybe not. But see, I, I forget that. For me, if it's the neighbor from hell, then, then it's just a neighbor from hell that I don't like, and I think, am I being punished? Did I do something wrong that I ended up with these people? And, and my first instinct, I want to get out of here. How quickly can I sell my home? 
I'll take a loss. I don't care. I just got it. I cannot take living next to you know what? You know what else I forget? I forget. I used to be that person. I forget that. I used to be the drunk. I used to be the adulterer before we got saved. I used to be the foul mouthed heathen. I used to be the one that made Christians cry. I used to be. I forget that because, see, I'm a pastor now. I'd rather rub shoulders with just a bunch of Christians. But I forget. I'm a billboard. That's why I'm here. That's why God left me here. Verse 5, verse uh, 6, Jeremiah has a response. Now, first, please don't forget, please don't forget, God says to him, before I made you, I understood you, and I set you apart. And Jeremiah says in verse 6, if I can put it to you this way, God, you made a mistake. Oh, Lord God, behold, I cannot speak because I am a youth. First century or before that, terminology for, eh, that ain't me. That, that, that's, that's what Jeremiah is saying. I can't do this. I, I, I don't have the ability to do this. I don't have the knowledge to do this. I don't have the training to do this. I don't have the experience to do this. Oh, so wait, so wait, wait. God must be looking down from heaven going, oh, wait, I'm sorry. I got the wrong Jeremiah. I was thinking this Jeremiah. I don't think so. But can I tell you that Jeremiah is making the mistake that I make, that maybe, maybe we make? And thinking that ministry has something to do with me. Thinking that sharing the gospel has something to do with me. Did you notice God says, I have formed you before I knew you. I sanctified you. I ordained you. And then Jeremiah says, I can't do it. But God says, I chose you. But God says, I know you. But God says, before I formed you. And Jeremiah says, but I can't. Jeremiah, did, where, where do you read here in the scriptures? Where do you read that God says, Jeremiah, what do you think, man? You think you can do this? What do you think? Jeremiah, can you do me a favor? Can you fill out this prophet application? Uh, this, I, I want to see what your experience is. I want to make sure you qualify to be a prophet because I don't want to be a non-profit organization. <laughs> that was really stupid. I'm sorry. Remind me not to use that again, babe. That, that just didn't work. But anyway, excuses. We're, we're, we're in John chapter 6. In John chapter 6, Jesus has the crowds of people coming um, uh, late in the afternoon. And the Bible says they're hungry. And so I, this is so crazy. And I don't know why. Remember the 12 disciples. I don't know why, but Jesus looks at Philip. I don't know why, Philip. And he says, Philip, how are we going to feed these people? He didn't ask Matthew. He didn't ask Peter. He didn't ask James. He didn't ask John. He didn't ask Simon. He said, Philip, how are we going to feed these people? Philip needed this test here. So Jesus says, how are we going to feed these people? Philip, being of the analytical persuasion, 
says, hmm, let's see, 5,000 adults, half married, bunch of kids. Jesus, if we had eight months worth of wages, we wouldn't be able to feed all these people. Wait a minute. Check out this gap here. Jesus says, how are we going to feed these people? Philip says, I don't have the money. I don't see the connection. Philip, it's not about you, but I make it about me. I don't have the money. Um, hey, uh, let me pretend. We're going to have a mission trip. Uh, we're going on a mission trip to uh, Central America, and I'd like you to pray about going on. The first thought that hits many of us is this. I don't have the money. Why, why, why do we make it about us immediately? It's not money that gets you on a mission trip. It's the will of God that gets you on a mission trip. If the will of God is for you to go on a mission trip, he's going to provide it. Jeremiah, where, where did God say, are you qualified? Where did God say, how are you going to get this done? Not about you, Jeremiah. Uh, no, see, I, I, uh, I can't do it. We have this belief, I think. We have this thought that all of the people, all of the men and women that God used in the scriptures were so much better than us. We have this picture of these Bible characters that were somehow perfect. Really? Let me give you a few names. Abraham struggled with lying. Moses murdered somebody. King David, adultery and also murdered somebody. Jonah fled from God. Noah, drunkenness. Jacob, I don't want to do a business deal with Jacob. <laughs> Peter denied the Lord. The disciples were asleep when they should have been awake. The Samaritan woman had relationship issues. Lazarus was dead, and God still used him. What's your excuse? What's my excuse? Oh, well, I don't know. Okay, so you don't know enough. Watch this, watch. Verse 7. Yeah, I love this, I love this. See, if, if, first, if I had written this, uh, I, verse 7 would read different. It, it would say, so Fidel said, Jeremiah, never mind, forget it. See, that, that would be me. But that's not God. The Lord said, don't say that I'm a youth. Now watch now. You shall go to all whom I send you. Would you underline that word send? Remember verse 7, the command. You're going to go to all whom I send you. And whatever I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of their faces, for I and with you to deliver you, says the Lord. Do you notice that God says, go, you shall go to whom all I send you. I'm going to tell you where to go, and I am going to put the words in your mouth. You may want to write Matthew chapter 10 somewhere nearby right there. Because in Matthew chapter 10, Jesus kind of tells the disciples kind of sort of the same thing. 
He says, listen, you're going to be brought before magistrates. And they're going to persecute you. And they're going to throw you in jail. But he says this to him. He says, but don't worry about what to say. And, and here's something you need to remember. Because it will be at that time that I will give you what to say. And it won't be you speaking, but it'll be the spirit of my father speaking through you. Jesus said to the disciples, I will give you what to say at the moment that you need it. God says to Jeremiah, I'm going to send you to some people and I will tell you what to say. So, so here's what I did. I asked uh, Pastor Rich for, for an envelope because I want you to consider something for a second. Would you consider this, uh, this fact? And we're almost done. Consider that you're this envelope right here. You're the Christian. You're an envelope. Um, you're saved. It's a Christian envelope. You're saved. And, um, and what God does is that he, according to this area of scripture, he puts a message inside of you. I will give you what to say. So he puts his message inside. What is the message, really? Think this through for one second. You have such a powerful message. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, the Apostle Paul says, this this body, I'm a, a, a jar of clay. I'm a jar of clay. But I have this all-surpassing power, this treasure inside of me. I, I'm, I'm just a jar of clay. But I have a message inside. You, you're just an envelope. I'm an envelope. But you have this incredibly powerful, life-changing message on the inside of you. John chapter 4. Jesus puts a message inside of you and he says, I am the living water. You can go to somebody. And you can say to them, look, you can keep drinking of the water of this well, of this world, as long as you want. But you're never going to be satisfied. But here's what Jesus said, that if you will drink of the water that he gives you, you will drink unto eternal life. He can satisfy. You have that message inside of you. In John chapter 6, Jesus says this, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry, and whoever believes in me, you won't be thirsty. You know people that are just eating and drinking figuratively of the things of this world, but they're never satisfied. And you can look at them and you can say, can I tell you that Jesus can satisfy you? In John chapter 8, two chapters later, Jesus says, I'm the light of the world. And whoever comes to me, you don't have to walk in darkness. Hey, you can, you have a message inside of you that you can look at somebody and go, ain't you tired of bumping into walls? Aren't you tired of just going in circles in life? How long are you going to keep living this way? Well, I'm not a religious. I'm not talking about religion. Well, I'm not about to change. I'm not talking about changing religion. I'm talking about a message that Jesus has for you that he can light your path. In John chapter 10, two chapters later, Jesus says, I am the gate. And I laid down my life for my sheep. You have a message inside of you that you can tell people. Jesus loves you so much that he laid down his life for you. Not that you would become religious, but that you could have the gift of eternal life later and have an abundant life now. Oh, not problem free. But you can walk through the valley of the shadow of death and not be afraid because your God will always be with you. You have that message. 
so what he does, remember, he sends you, he puts uh, figurative, uh, John chapter 4, 6, 8, and 10 inside. He closes you up. This is you. And then what did he say in this verse? He says in verse 7, and I'm going to send you. So, so he puts your name right here, uh, Fidel Gomez, uh, Fort Lauderdale, Florida. And, and he, he sends me to Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Where, where has he sent you? That's why you work where you work. That's why you live where you live. That, that's why you sit next to who you sit with if you're in college. That's why you have that professor in college. You know that nutty professor? That's why you have that professor. The one that you just go, he, he's, he's just out of his mind. He's not going to Rhode Island University and you're going to tab that nutty professor. And he sends you there. Because you're a light. You're a billboard. You're a preview of heaven. I can't stand that professor. I can't stand that neighborhood. I can't stand that job. I can't stand how far I got to drive. I can't stand the benefits. They call these benefits? This is no benefit. Can I have you consider something? Just consider this. How many of you, and just by a show of hands, today's uh, Sunday? Uh, see, I forget. What is today? Today's Sunday, right? Um, how many of you tomorrow have to go to work? Raise your hand. How many? Keep your hands up for a second. Keep your hands up for a second. Can I ask you to do me a favor? When you wake up tomorrow, tell yourself this. I ain't going to work. I'm going on a mission trip today. <laughs> You're going on a mission trip. Because what's a mission trip? Isn't a mission trip to go to a place where there's a bunch of unsafe people? Isn't that what a mission trip is? But when I forget that I'm here for a purpose, I'm just going to work. I'm just going to work. A bunch of unchristian, non if I could just work for a Christian company. Because you had a Christian company, all they do is just pray all day long. They all get along. They never argue, make all kinds of money, and work less hours. I want to work for an all-Christian company. Not so much. He says, I'm sending you with a message and I'm sending you to the people. Now, look at the hope. We're finishing in verses 9 and 10. Then the Lord put forth his hand. He touched my mouth. And he said to me, Behold, I put my words in your mouth. I have this day set you over the nations and over the kingdoms to root out and to pull down, to destroy and to throw down, to build and to plant, to build the hope. I think one of the greatest tools that we have as Christians is that we can give people hope. Just because we're Christians, listen, I, I have to perform funeral services for mom and dads that lose a five-year-old little boy to terminal brain cancer. I know what pain is. I know what suffering is. But I also see the faces of Christian parents that have hope. We're going to see our five-year-old boy again. And I've also been at memorial services where, there, where that doesn't exist. You have the gift of hope. And again, I don't know this region. I don't, I'm not about to pretend that I know what it's like here. All I can tell you is that part of the country that I'm from, people are dying to hear some good news. They're dying from drugs. They're dying from abuse. They're dying from foreclosures. They're dying from plants closing down. 
They're dying from the economy. They're dying from sexual abuse. They're just dying for some good news. Just even when we picked up the rental car, Pastor, you remember we met this kid, me and Pastor Rich picked up a rental car up at the airport. Hey, man, what's your name? My name's Dwayne. Hey, what's going on, Dwayne? Um, Hey, you go to church or anything? Well, I I used to, haven't been, and he starts telling me the story. I'm disappointed, met up with a girl, and uh, we joked, you know, girls will mess you up, man. You're not careful, watch out, and you got to find that right one, and God has a plan. And something as simple as that, you have a message by which you can give somebody hope. I leave you with this. Procrastination is a deadly, deadly disease. Do you know that because of procrastination, some people have died because they didn't want to go to the doctor? Businesses have died because of procrastination. Marriages have died because of procrastination. <clears throat> Story is told of a, a man that um, cleaning out his, um, his desk and he uh, pulls out one of the drawers <clears throat> finds a receipt. <laughs> he had taken a pair of shoes to the shoe repair shop to get fixed five years earlier. And he forgot to pick them up. And he's looking at this receipt going, really? I never picked up these shoes. There is no way that this guy still has these shoes. But I got to find out. So he gets in his car and goes down to where the shoe repair shop is, and he walks in, and there's the guy there, and he goes, hey, listen, uh, I feel really stupid. But I got this receipt. I dropped a pair of shoes off here five years ago. I know you don't have them. But hey, I just thought, you know, I'd come to the check. And so the guy says, well, let me take a look at it. So he looks at it and goes, wow, five years ago. Yeah, I know. Never mind. Never. No, no, no. Let me check. Let me check. He goes, who knows? It could be that, um, that I still have them. I, I, I don't think, let me go check. So the guy goes in the back room, and the guy's thinking, what am I doing here? This is the stupidest thing. I know he ain't got my shoes. So the guy comes back empty-handed. <laughs> I knew it. I knew it. I knew I don't know why I came here. I knew he didn't have my shoes, and the guy says, oh, no, 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 I got your shoes. They'll be ready next Thursday. There's some, things, there's some things that you can put off, but can I just say to you that being a billboard and being a preview and being a witness, and can I just say being a witness just means that you tell what you know. Let me just take that weight out. Just tell what you know. When you witness an accident, what do you tell? Just what you know. How long have you been a Christian? A week? Then tell somebody what you know. Been a Christian a year? Tell them what you know. If you don't know the answer, hey, let's go find out. But you don't have to know the entire book of Deuteronomy by memory before you can share the gospel. You don't have to know the entire Bible before you can tell somebody, can I just tell you that Jesus loves you? Can I just tell you that? Tell them what you know. That's it. Can I pray with you? Lord, I pray for this body. And I pray, Lord, um, for the fire of evangelism. There's lost people in these homes around here. 
There's lost people that we work with. There's one person, Lord, that we need to pray for. There's one person in our family. We all have an uncle that's obnoxious. We all have a cousin that's always in jail. We all have a boss that is a bit on the mean side. We all know somebody that's lost. And so God, strike in us that fire. It only takes one of us, God. It only takes one of us to get serious about telling somebody about Jesus. God, some of us have forgotten that when we got saved, you kept us here. Some of us have forgotten what you've done in our life. That's who we were, God. Some of us were those drunks. Some of us were those adulterers, drug addicts. Some of us were those gossipers. Some of us were those steeped deep in religion until Jesus came. So we thank you for your son. And we pray that when we leave here, God, that we would be energized to be um, those witnesses for you. Bless this body, Lord. Bless the pastor and his wife and the leaders. And God, may this be that um, lamp on a hill that is uh, seen from miles away as a place where salvation can be obtained so freely. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen, for the opportunity to be here today. Thank you, Pastor.